0: Elon here. We've got a special bonus midweek episode for you. Recently, Brian and I had the pleasure of being reached out to by a guy named Alex McLean. He's a writer for Dober Hockey, the Capped section, all about cap leagues. And I'm gonna be honest, Brian and I are not in salary cap leagues. We don't know much about it. So when we heard from Alex offering to come on the show, we had to take him up on it. And here he is, Alex McLean. Welcome and thanks so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a real pleasure. We get questions all the time about, oh, should I trade this guy for this guy? By the way, it's a salary cap league. And so I was like, well, I don't know. I can tell you which player I think is better. And I assume (laughs) that the player who gets paid more, you want less. But I'm assuming there's a lot more to it. So I'm really excited to have a chance to dig into things with you. Maybe like before we get started, like what interests you about salary cap leagues? Like, why are you, why is that the thing that you're an expert in?
1: That's a very good question. I think first off, I'm, probably way farther into fantasy hockey than most people I know and I'm maybe a little bit uh let's not say addicted, but very big into it and probably more so than my wife would like. But so be it. And I find that uh with fantasy hockey leagues, they're very diverse, a lot of fun no matter what you get into, especially if you end up with a good league setup, good league mates. But the added extra challenge of having player salaries tossed on top of it kind of gives it a little bit more intrigue and a little bit more to look into maybe a little bit more of a place to get a leg up on competition if you're really on top of things yeah that makes sense and i guess i guess actually i probably should have started with the question
0: of explaining for those people who don't know what is a salary cap like i think we all get the general gist that you have a cap And I guess it's just like every player, you have to pay them the salary that
1: they get paid in the NHL, and you can't go over. Is it as simple as that? That's the easiest way to describe it, yes. I might expand on it a little bit and say that uh, any fantasy hockey league that you have, you can then turn into a salary cap league by assigning values to players. Most cap leagues follow a system where it's contract related based on their NHL contracts, whether that be based on their salary, A, B, or cap hit. There's nuances to each one, but uh, generally you follow the NHL contract. It works that way and you have a certain cap that you have to stay under. There's other leagues where you can assign player values and those can either be done based on performance or by an auction style. So some auction leagues, you might draft your players and whatever you bid them for, that ends up being their cap for the year. Oh, that makes so there's sense. different ways around that, different league styles. But the bottom line is you end up having each player assigned an additional cost to try and fit under a certain total for your roster that you're allowed, in addition to trying to have the best team that amasses you the most points.
0: Right. Okay, that makes sense. Though so I'm interested, in this auction format, what would you do with free agents then? Like If you wanted to drop someone and
1: pick someone up, how would you know their values? That's a good question. And I think it's the kind of thing where it's league dependent. Some have it where anybody after the draft is just a dollar. Some have different setups. But I'm not actually in a league with that kind of style. But there's many different ways you could do that, whether it's uh, having it be performance-based after that, having it be a bidding uh, with kind of a free agent waiver bidding process for free agents, say, every week or something, assign them a value that way. It's so funny. You could like
0: think of yourself as like a fantasy hockey expert that you're in a bunch of leagues and there's like just so many different formats out there. You'd have to be in, like 20, 30 leagues probably to get the full force. So just this year for the first time I'm playing in a league where each roster position has a maximum number of games played. And I'm realizing, oh man, the strategy is so different, like streaming out the window. And now like I haven't played in a cap league yet, but this will be a whole other thing I'd have to learn.
1: Yeah, there there's a whole different rabbit hole to go down here with cap leagues. It's quite something when you get into it yeah so i guess that's
0: what we can do right now like i noticed on capped like you write a bunch of articles there people should definitely check it out i guess dauberhockey.com slash is it uh, slash capped
1: it's uh it goes through the uh dauberhockey.com and then you can find it in the pull down menu it's probably the easiest way
0: right okay i'll make actually a forward here if you go to keepingcarlson.com slash capped let's say C-A-P-P-E-D, that'll take you to all of your articles. I'll remember to put that up. Uh, yeah, I saw like uh, interesting articles, like, for example, early returns on cost per point basis. So I guess it all is kind of coming down to how much are you paying for a player based on what they're producing for you? I'd be interested just to hear, like, who are some players who are generally considered like darlings in cap leagues? And who are some players that, you know, in normal leagues are considered to be super valuable that you would say, like, you would have no interest in in your salary cap league?
1: That's it. A- very good question. Very general. Uh, I will say, to start it off, the first thing with cap leagues is the entry-level contracts are gold. No matter what kind of league setup you have, even if they are based on AAV, where you have it end up being worth uh, the top ones, Elias Pettersson, Rasmus deline they end up being $3.7 million. Even if you have that kind of thing, they're still worth their cap hit. But if you, have it, if you have a league based on cap hit, then they're under a million dollars and they're performing with what they do right now. So entry-level contracts are really the ones that you want to go for. Aside from that, uh, to answer your question, usually the best ones in cap leagues end up being the ones that are signed early on in somebody's career, whether it be a bridge deal that the player ends up outperforming for two or three years or the long-term deal that somebody signs early, such as uh, Roman Yossi, where they end up outperforming the last four or five years of it.
0: Yeah, though, actually, just today, Roman Yossi signed a contract extension. Does that mean now his value tumbles in leagues because he's getting paid like $9 million a year?
1: It, it will go down uh, as of next season. He's still a great player to own uh, for this season, especially if you're making a push. I own him in my one in my main uh, salary cap keeper league. So I was expecting and kind of planning for about that amount, but uh, he's definitely going to be a tougher one to keep this uh, after this off season. So moving back to uh, players that are higher value versus lower value in cap leagues, I would say that uh, a lot of the players that end up being lower value are usually related to age-related decline because they're paid for what they used to do not for what they're doing now so you would end up with the older players for the most part or players such as maybe even artemi panarin now now that he's a whatever he is top five top seven paid player in the league and he may be a top 25 player in the league but at that cost it's tough to warrant rostering him at that Especially if you can't uh, easily make up the depth to kind of cover your lower tier players on your roster to make, to make up for the difference of using up such a high percentage early on with your star players.
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I guess actually that brings me to a question that one of our patrons, Victor asked, I'll throw some of these questions that we got along the way. Like, I guess, yeah, you have to make a decision like that. You could try to fill out your roster with players who are making, you know, a decent salary, but nothing too crazy and get more like good players. Or you could do like get Panarin, get like Brent Burns, all these like high paid players, but then you'd have mm-hmm. to have a bunch of cheap players at the bottom. Like, is it the kind of thing where a lot of people are doing one strategy and a lot of people are doing a different strategy? Or is there one that
1: you think is like the clearly better strategy to Go with? I think both can work depending on your league setup. And that's really, even within cap leagues, it varies so much. If you have a cap league that has a higher cap relative to the number of players and number of positions, then you can fit a whole bunch of star players on and then you can fill it in with some depth players and not be too hard off with it. But other leagues are a little tighter and you do end up with the players like. Brent Burns, Drew Doughty, Artemi Panarin, in the free agency pile, and it's tough to make it work if you end up going with the studs and duds method, as it's been dubbed. To go with that, where you end up having a stud or two, and you end up kind of filling in with really cheap talent at the bottom to kind of make up the difference, as opposed to going with the uh, two. Average players in the middle. So you could have Artemi Panarin and you could have somebody coming in hot this season like Ilya Makayev on the Toronto Maple Leafs coming over from Russia and he makes under a million. So you have between the two of them just over 12 and a half million versus if you have two $6 million players that are both scoring you 50, 60 points, you're getting close to 120 points from each of them. It really really depends how you can set it up. And depending on your league, how easy it is to acquire those kind of cheap depth players that make it easier for you to roster the star players that you know, are going to give you that production, which is makes it easier in any league, the more star players you can own, the better you're going to do. But it's at what cost with the depth,
0: right? And I guess that makes sense. Maybe in some leagues, it's super deep. And all of these people like, you know, Alex some you know, people who are uh, Cody mm-hmm. Glass, like, some leagues that we hear from, you know, these guys are available, and we're telling people they should pick them up as free agents, and in some leagues, these guys have already been owned for many years, so, like right. you say, yeah, are you going to be able to be confident in yourself to make up for the fact that you're pretty close to the cap? And I guess another feature of these salary cap leagues is, like, you can't just drop a player, right? Or at least I've heard of that a lot, so if you have, like, a Brent Seabrook on this, like, terrible contract, now he's getting healthy scratch for the second straight game, you're just mm-hmm. kind of stuck with him unless you could trade him, or, or what are what are the typical options you have in a league like that?
1: Really, again, I hate to keep going down this road, but it really depends on the setup. There's a whole variation of types of leagues that you can have. Uh, I have my main salary cap keeper. If you want to drop a player that's been under contract and not uh, minors eligible for our league, which is under 160 games played, then you have to buy them out, which puts them at uh, two-thirds of their cap hit against your salary cap for the next uh for double the amount of years that you're buying out mm-hmm. whereas there's some other leagues where it's just add drop off of your team as necessary as you would in a normal league just as long as you keep to your add drop limits for the week or the year whatever it may be and it really depends what kind of league you want to have there's some where they try and mimic the NHL as much as possible and those are a lot of fun because there's a lot more planning involved meanwhile there's also other leagues where it's your standard uh, kind of thing where it's it leads to a lot more transactions a lot more player movement and kind of keeps people coming back because there's a lot going on making it easy to make moves and try and make up ground
0: yeah i guess you could be like who was it? like arizona like taking on bad contracts in exchange for getting prospects and then in a couple of years maybe you can be competitive once those contracts run out have, have you ever uh bought out a player in this league that
1: you're in I have not. I have definitely uh, dumped bad contracts on uh, other teams while paying up for it. I, in the off season, actually <laughs> ended up acquiring Corey Schneider. He came to my team with Cost and a first round pick, and I want to say I sent a fourth or a fifth round pick back as the return for that, so I was taking on the cap dump of Corey Schneider. I actually saw him as somebody that was possible to maybe bounce back to better than he was. And I'm, in fantasy, usually someone that devalues goalies, so just because they're so random to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then later on in the offseason, I had a chance to acquire tukarask for a good price, so I ended up having to ship Schneider back off for a similar price. I ended up giving up a different first-rounder, which I perceived to be a team that would finish a little higher in the standings and trey fix Wolanski, so a different prospect as well but similar price and in that league the price is pretty set for what teams will uh need if they're going to take on a cap dump like that so i've never actually had to buy out a player because there's usually players that you can or there's usually other teams that you can sell a player to and get them to take on a bad contract because for me, it's easier to give up a prospect and replace that than it is to deal with the cap hit penalty. Right. And I think you maybe dodged a bullet by shipping
0: off Corey Schneider because, yeah, the bounce back hasn't happened yet. Hasn't yet. But yeah, it's only played four games, though, so I guess there's still lots of time for him to right the ship, potentially.
1: Yeah. And the whole New Jersey team has been uh, looking like they are going to take a couple of days, a couple of games, maybe even a couple of weeks. Who knows? Maybe until January before they really get, get going.
0: Yeah, it's pretty wild. Like, Nikita Gusev is getting healthy scratch today. I don't know what the cap implications are here, but definitely not what you expect. Or I think, I guess it's tomorrow actually that New Jersey's playing. Here's a question that just came to my head. So let's say you were starting, your cap league was starting like tomorrow. The draft is tomorrow. Who's going first overall? Because Connor McDavid is amazing, but he makes a lot of
1: money. Like, who mm-hmm. are the types of players that you think are going? Like, let's say top five picks. So my pick would be Elias Pettersson. Oh. I mean, It depends on the settings. I mean, if you have hits, face-off wins, blocks, penalty minutes, all those kind of kitchen sink categories, then it might be a little different. But if it's points only, I'm going Elias Pettersson, and I don't have to think too hard about it. Mainly because he has two years left on his entry-level deal. He's already putting up 70, 80, close to point per game anyway. And you can just take that to the bank and Either his next contract is going to be a decent one or he's going to, eh, he's unlikely to take a bridge. He's probably going to end up looking for similar money to Matthews and Marner, but won't be that high anyway. Yeah. I mean, you can't go
0: wrong, especially in a points league. And you're saying like a point per game. Right now, he's got 14 points in 11 games. Who knows what the upside is for this guy?
1: So, other players at the top would probably be similar type. Uh, On defense, you have Kale McCarr, Rasmus DeLean. At forward, you might have Alex to Brinkett, Brady to Chuck in a league that has all of those categories, mm-hmm. Svechnikov, Hughes. But actual higher-salaried players, you'd probably see Nikita Kucherov go early. You would have McKinnon early. Somebody would reach for McDavid and say, yeah, I can make up the cap elsewhere. Just because it's solid production, you know you're getting from McDavid. Another thing I want to talk about here that I think kind of makes sense to In here is uh, the salary cap rankings that I've just started. Uh, The first list was published last month around this time. And I've actually been trying over the summer to figure out a way to adjust for the production versus cap it and try and actually put up a rankings. So, usually, what a lot of people end up doing in cap leagues is looking at just the simple how many points per dollar and kind of taking an approximation that way figuring out what a player's worth but depending on points per dollar you might have somebody like mcdavid who's getting 10 points per million dollars or something whereas you have a player on their entry level deal getting 100 points per million or maybe not quite that but shows you the difference anyway so how do you value one versus the other and i've been trying to put that together so you can find the list on uh, dauber hockey as well in the ranking section but uh, Petterson is at the top alongside other players like Shabbat, Deline, Debrinkit as I was mentioning earlier. That's kind of how I determined who I would be putting at the top of the list. Wow.
0: So I'm seeing Eric Gustafsson third. I guess this is already at the start of the season, like before the season started, when we thought maybe he could get another 60 points. Obviously, he'd go down right now.
1: And uh, it's a large project, and I'm still tweaking with things, still figuring out how to input a lot of things dealing with uh, projecting salaries and all that kind of thing for future years so it can actually be used kind of as a keeper league list, not just a one-off or a single-season list. Mm -hmm. But uh, Gustafson's dropped down a couple of spots uh, based on his early season production. But I think with the upside that he has of 60 points on his $1.2 million contract, he's still very much worth owning and Possibly worth looking into acquiring now in cap leagues if you can. Right. You could buy low. And so then
0: I guess, guys, like, like how far again, like this hypothetical, you're drafting your new league tomorrow. It's it's the first draft. Where's Alex Ovechkin and like Sidney Crosby getting drafted?
1: In a points only league, Crosby way ahead of Ovechkin. But uh, see where Ovechkin is on my list. Ovechkin's actually just outside the top 100. And I'm looking at the updated list. So the one that uh, is currently on this site might differ a little. Crosby is inside the top 50. And on his contract, that's not too surprising.
0: Yeah, it's true. Actually, only
1: 8.7 million. Yeah, he's he's been one of the most consistent guys at the top for years for cap leagues. And his contract's only getting better.
0: Yeah, that's actually interesting. So it's like, some of these players that sign these contracts... I remember back when Evander Kane signed. It was just a couple summers ago. Seven years, seven million dollars. Everyone's like, what an overpay. And now you're looking at the new salaries that are happening. It's like, that seems like totally reasonable. Maybe even a decent deal for Evander yeah. Kane. So yeah, it's changed a lot.
1: It's it's funny how fast those deals end up looking decent. Although, on the flip side, it's also interesting how fast some of the free agent deals end up looking terrible.
0: Well, Yeah. <laughs> That's usually like if the player just stops producing Louis Erickson, I guess. I don't yeah. I don't need to know how much he's getting paid to know that it was a bad contract. <laughs> That's for sure. Cool. So yeah, and I guess you were saying that you come up with projections for contracts. I guess a lot of people in cap leagues, maybe they're like, look, Alex, I don't need your rankings. Like I know values of players, but the only thing we don't know is what their contract is going to be. Like when it runs out, you're saying Elias Patterson for the next two years is good. What's he going to make after that? How do you mm-hmm. go about coming up with these contract projections for the future?
1: So that was something I started, I want to say two summers ago and really just put a whole bunch of contracts that had been recently signed into an Excel sheet. And then based on age position, production, contract status, all that kind of thing, tried to figure out a formula to try and spit out an approximation of a future cap hit for these players and been tweaking that for a while now. And it's probably not as good as the evolving wild one. Not sure if you're familiar with them, but, uh, Some of the analytics guys that I pay attention to, they have their own uh, evolving wild site, but they put out some pretty solid contract predictions, doing a lot fancier coding than I'm doing. But uh, just for my own little project, it's all done in Excel, just inputting a bunch of numbers and trying to model a formula for it.
0: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. You just go based on past data and hope Mm. you could come up with a way to help use that to predict future data. What would you have predicted Kevin LeBanc to sign for over the summer? That would have probably been a lot of people's projections' uh, biggest blunder.
1: Yeah, I I think I had him. I want to say somewhere in the five six million range. That's wild. Yeah, I think he will be there. Maybe six, even seven million. I think they probably just have a contract for him in the top drawer of uh, the GM's office there, waiting for january 1st before he can sign it oh because he took such a discount this year they probably have it a bit of a under the table agreement to sign him for a bigger deal to make up for it and hey like right now i'd imagine in the cap league someone like him making literally
0: a million dollars and he's got i'm looking at i am seeing like a point per game for the past like eight games this guy's been on fire
1: yeah and he started off slow too so he's definitely one of those guys that you were lucky if you had him when he signed the contract and it would have been very tough to acquire him after it i know i tried oh yeah
0: well yeah i guess another bilo like you're saying eric gustafson might be now what kevin lebanque was a few weeks ago Mm mm-hmm so I'm, like, not someone that follows the contracts, like, too carefully, you know, because it's, like, not, like, you know, I'm a fan of hockey, and when I see the news, I'm like, oh, that that looks like a lot of money, or oh, wow, sometimes you compare it to other players, but I'd be curious to you, like, who are the generally considered good contracts? So you, you threw out a few good names, like, you know, Sidney Crosby now, I took a look, like, yeah, you're right, that's a very good contract now, uh, Kucherov, like, are there some other players that are sort of just known to be like, oh, man, this guy, what a great contract?
1: I think, uh, aside from the entry-level deals that you kind of just know they're Good value. Uh, Roman Yossi's that's just finishing. And a lot of them were signed two, three years ago with the Nathan McKinnon, uh, Mark Shifley, Johnny Goodrow, Alex Barkov. A whole bunch of those are some of the top ones. Sean Couturier, John Klinberg, even though he started slowly. So it's interesting that you say, like, for example, you would take Elias
0: Pettersson first overall in your draft, but you know he's going to get paid potentially like 10, 11 plus million when his contract mm-hmm. is over. So like how would you make that kind of decision of do you want to have the player who's cheap for now but can he be expensive in a couple of years or do you want someone that you know is locked in on a good deal? And obviously I guess I know the answer is going to be obviously depends on context and if you're going for a win now right. versus the future, but uh like what what kind of goes through your head
1: when you're making these decisions? I think the the biggest thing for me is one I like to try and go for it every season, but uh, I think I try not to look more than 2 3 years ahead. So if a player has 2 or 3 years left on their contract, then it's not really anywhere close to being a large part of the decision making process as to what Elias Petterson's going to be making in his third season from now. He has 2 years on one of the best contracts right now, so he's going to be one of the best players to own for the next 2 years and then at that point he either signs a good contract that you can keep or he signs one that just ends up pricing him out of your range and you end up replacing him with somebody else and using that 10 million that you could have kept him for on a couple other players or you end up realizing that you have the depth to keep them it's not knowing who's going to be on your roster so far in advance that i find you can't really make decisions that way on a single player so look at it for the next year, next two years, maybe the next three years if you're not uh, in a big contention window right now. But past that, trying to look at future cap hits and anything just gets way too messy i could see that like it's so much to wrap your
0: head around like trying to think of what you need to do now and also for the future like do you go into a season and then have you had times where like midway through you realize you're not going to win and then you like totally have to change your strategy which i guess is a lot like just any keeper league but in a cap league like especially do you quickly switch to like let me acquire a, a bad contract and a prospect
1: that's definitely something that you can do i think uh yeah, it's like any league. You can turn on a dime if you really need to and realize, oh, my, I just lost uh, Landeskog Granton and somebody else to injury. I might right. have to go in a different direction now and move things one way or the other. It's the same thing in a cap league. And you just have the contracts. You can either take somebody's bad contract or you can acquire somebody like Victor Arvidsson who has a whole bunch more years on a good contract that you know... For the next few years, I can get something worthwhile. Maybe you send somebody Roman Yossi in exchange for Victor Arvidsson. They get the one year of Roman Yossi, who's the better player for this season. You get the better player for the next few years. Bit of a hit this season. Something like that you might be able to balance.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's happening in the NHL all the time.
1: Yeah. So, okay. For sure.
0: If you got an offer right now, Artemi Panarin, you're gonna, someone's going to give you Artemi Panarin, and mm-hmm. you have to give, like, a fifth-round pick. Like, I'm just trying to get a sense of, like, are you staying away? Or, you know, Eric Carlson and his $11 million contract. Are you, like, okay. do people have to give you something to take on these contracts on these star players? Or are these are these still players that people want to try to get on their teams?
1: I mean, you always want to have the star players on your team. It's just, can I fit them? If I can fit Eric Carlson on my team, either just by dropping two other $6 million players, and I can acquire him for a fourth round pick. I would do that in a heartbeat. But if it's a league where I can't just drop two six million dollar players and I only have one million dollars and one million dollars under the cap, then it's tough to really wiggle them under your cap. So you would end up having to send somebody back, and that's how a lot of uh, cap league deals end up going. Well, at least with the initial discussions is, hey, I'm interested in next player, but I can only take on two million of his eight million dollars in salary. So who would interest you and are you willing to take this six million dollars back, whether it's one player or two players kind of thing?
0: right okay that makes sense like even if you want to take him you sometimes just don't have any room and so you have to figure something else out like in your league like what is the penalty is it just like the software won't allow you to go over the cap or do you have some wiggle room where you can be over for a little bit until you figure things out like how, how does that get
1: enforced so we do our league through fan tracks, and they do a very good job with uh their system for that and we have it set up so in our league, if you have a team that's over the cap, then you just won't accrue any stats for the period of which you're over the cap. So if I have, if I acquire Eric Carlson and then two days later send out Artemi Panarin to balance the cap and get myself back under those two days, I won't have accumulated any stats. Uh, have you ever done that? I haven't. It's definitely happened. I ended up, uh, actually having to make a bit of a panic move a couple of years ago where I had Philip Forsberg coming back and I hadn't managed salaries uh, quite properly enough, so I needed to ship out a little bit of money. So I ended up uh, sending Artemi Panarin, funnily enough, when he was making $6 along with two picks in exchange for Kyle Palmieri, who I'm a fan of in cap leagues, especially ones that have a bunch of different categories, shots, hits that kind of thing, where Panarin's value has decreased a little. So getting the $4.6 million Palmieri for the $6 million Panarin helped me out of my bind. I was willing to give up a couple of picks to do it. And really, I ended up with the multi-cat advantage anyway. So it was a deal that made sense at that point. But uh, I haven't actually ever said, oh, I just need to acquire this player and I'll sort out the salary later.
0: Yeah, sounds like that would be a mistake. And actually, one of the questions I had here from Victor is, what are the biggest mistakes made in capped leagues? I'm assuming there's some maybe newer players to the league that just get so excited by all the star players available, and then they get themselves into trouble, and then it's pretty hard to work your way out of it without having to give up some really bad trades.
1: That that definitely happens. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. Is just getting really excited about all the star players you can acquire. And... On the flip side, it's not knowing how much you should be getting with the cap dumps. So the players like Ryan Souter or uh, Corey Schneider that somebody's sending you and you might get a second round pick with them, whereas other people that have been around in the league know that, oh, I need to get a first round pick and a prospect to be willing to take this guy on.
0: Are there any other like uh, mistakes or maybe general tips you can give to people like new to cap leagues, like mistakes to try to avoid or tips like strategies you could employ to have an edge or at least be able to compete with the experienced players such as yourself?
1: That's a tough one. I think the biggest thing is really just gaining experience. And uh, one thing that a lot of people do in cap leagues is thinking they know what they're doing. So they come in and all of a sudden start making a ton of moves and then they've gotten themselves in trouble one way or another. But uh, really, it's take some time, figure out what the values are in the league because the league knows what players are valued, where certain salaried players are valued, what one thing is worth versus another. You coming in, you might think something is valuable, but it's actually not. So somebody like Esa Lindell was... Somebody that was likely going to be dropped in our league over the summer, but one of the new GMs came in and actually ended up trading, I think, a second, a third, and maybe another pick to acquire him, and then ended up having to ship him off to somebody else anyway. So it's, yeah, it's mistakes like that, kind of not really knowing where the market is set. That's one of the biggest things. For people new into cap leagues, for experienced general managers, it really comes down to, wow, I just really missed on my player evaluation or my uh, contract expectation with this guy.
0: Yeah, like potentially if you grabbed Eric Gustafsson third overall and then he's not getting any points. But again, that could Mm -hmm. obviously change. Just a fun example right now. So, okay, in your league at this moment... I assume you have free agency. Like, do you have the opportunity if you had the cap space to drop a player and add a player, just like another standard fantasy leagues?
1: So we have a whole, uh, pro system, minor system set up. So usually when, uh, somebody goes down with an injury, you can promote somebody within that has less than 160 games. So real depth players here, but, uh, you can usually promote within, but, uh, our free agent, set up. So whichever team just lost Tarasenko might say, okay, now I have his money that really won't affect me for the rest of the season. I can add Max Pacioretty, who's sitting in our free agent right now. Yeah, that's what I
0: was kind of interested in. Can you share some of these names? Because Max Pacioretty having a killer season. He's doing really well playing with Marksman.
1: I guess I shouldn't say killer season. You know, he's doing a lot better than he did last year. That's for sure. Definitely. He doesn't have an even strength goal, apparently. And he's on uh, pace to whiz past 300 shots on goal though so maybe even some market correction for even more production who knows yeah well wow.
0: 11 points in 13 games he hits more than once per game like you said like 54 shots in 13 games is wild and you're saying he's a free agent in your league yeah. <laughs> who are some other names of the top free agents out there
1: it's really just because nobody has the cap space to be able to pick him up
0: are you trying to figure it out right now are you going to angle away to get patch onto your team
1: I, I am so tight to the cap right now. I think out of our eighty-two and a half million dollars, if everybody's healthy on my team, I'm at eighty-two point three. So it would take a couple of trades to be able to find room for him.
0: And you wouldn't be able to like if you have someone who's also getting paid seven million and you think Patri is better, could you just like make that swap?
1: So for example, I have Blake Wheeler on my team. I would need to buy out Blake Wheeler. And that would oh, cost right. me two thirds of the 8.2 million he's making to be able to drop him. And that would be against my uh, salary cap for the next 10 years. while his contract is just another five. So not really worth dropping Blake Wheeler right now.
0: Right, right. I forgot about that, that you can't actually do an ad drop. You have to buy someone out.
1: In some leagues, you could definitely make that swap. You could drop Blake Wheeler, pick up Max Pacioretty. It just depends how the league's set up. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Yeah. I'd love to
0: just hear a couple other names. It's just kind of fun sure. to hear what types of guys could be in free agency in a league like this.
1: So they're actually ranked right now by uh, the score. So what their actual rank is based on their production in our league category so far. So some of the top names are Alex Adler, Max Pacioretty, Ryan Ellis, Logan Couture, Jack Silverberg, Drew Doughty, Dano Ochara, Jeff Skinner, Jacob Slavin, Kevin Hayes. Oliver ekman Larson, Jonathan Taves. Well, Taves makes sense at this point. But yeah, that's a a pretty wild list. There's some big names. It's a little crazy. I actually, at the end of last season, made room and picked up John Carlson because somebody had dropped him as a 55-point defenseman on an $8 million contract. And with defensemen not having as much value in our league, he was a free agent and sat there for couple of months anyway at least i forget off the top of my head but i managed to make room for him and kind of said you know what i can use this cap space and try and trade for somebody or i can pick up carlson at a free cost and deal with the implications of his later contract years when it comes but for now he's going to produce and i really lucked into quite some production with that
0: yeah are you like near the top of your league now with your 21 points in 13 games john carlson
1: he's helped me to a 3-0 record so far this season. So there's a few other undefeated teams, but uh, definitely helped me off to a good start anyway.
0: Cool, yeah, great acquisition for sure. That's wild, just thinking about getting John Carlson out of free agency. But yeah, it's a whole other world. whole other world. So here's a question that I wanted to uh, throw at you from one of our patrons, Jeremy. He's in an interesting league. They have a system for restricted free agents. If they're less than 26 years old, then like when their contract renews, they get to either like match the salary or get compensation. I hope I'm understanding that right. But have you ever heard of a format like this? And do you know like what the strategy would be here about whether deciding to match the salary
1: or take the pick compensation? I haven't actually played in a league with that kind of setup, but uh, generally understand the format. So the league that I'm in, uh, we have a choice when somebody re-signs, we can either keep them at that cost or we can release them to free agency. So there's no buyout of somebody that gets signed to a new contract. And I'm assuming it's a similar kind of setup there where they would need to buy somebody out. But as an RFA, if they end up, having Mitch Marner see him signed to an $11 million contract, don't want to keep him at that price, then they can drop him, get a compensatory pick. It's an interesting setup, and I kind of like that you do get the compensation if you decide to drop an RFA like that. In terms of how to value them differently, I think the way I would look to approach it is, if I'm looking at an RFA versus a UFA, then is the RFA plus the compensatory pick worth more than the UFA, or vice versa? It's an interesting way to look at it, and I think really I would probably try and ignore it for the most part. Really, you just want the best players, but if it's coming up to uh, contract extensions for both players, then the RFA plus the compensatory pick is probably how I would value it out versus a UFA.
0: Right, so you just get that little bonus of knowing that that you're going to potentially get a pick out of this guy if you decide not to
1: keep him. Yeah, it's a little bit of a safety net, I guess.
0: Yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah, again, like so many ways this can go. (laughs) And okay, how about I'll throw one more question at you, again from Victor. He's in a situation, he's got some star players on his team. He's got McDavid, Marner, Matthews, Zabanajad, Philip Forsberg, the rest of his team are scrubs. Uh, and now he's trying to figure out what to do because he's not doing well he's an eighth out of 12 he's wondering if he should be trading one of his superstars to make room for more middle range players uh he has Panarin actually as a free agent so he could go like I guess the other route but like saying like he can get rid of superstars clearly other superstars are being dropped what would you do if you were in Victor's situation
1: it sounds like in a league like that where Panarin's not owned and if he has a bunch of those high price stars that he's probably lacking a lot in the depth categories or in the depth uh just team depth overall so it sounds like he's probably better off by diversifying a little bit and whether that means trading off a star for say a ten million dollar player for three three or four million dollar players could be something that makes sense depending on the fit or he could look into moving. A $10 million player for an $8 million player, maybe somebody like uh, Jacob Boracek or Blake Wheeler that started off a little slow, move for somebody like that, and another depth piece that you can use to replace somebody on the bottom of your roster. Yeah, it really is case-by-case basis kind of thing, but it sounds like some kind of diversification is needed for him.
0: Yeah, I guess what I would say is you're 8-12. and Obviously, look at your team. Maybe he just happens to have a bunch of underperforming players that we expect to do better. In that case, maybe wait it out. But if everyone on your team is doing basically what you kind of expected from them, then it does sound like, yeah, you have a depth issue and you have to try to resolve it. So good luck, Victor. Uh, And Alex, so yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show, giving us a little tutorial here on Cap Leagues, blowing my mind with some of these player valuations. Alex Ovechkin (laughs) outside of the top 100, Panarin's in free agency all over the place. Just wild. Uh, so yeah, if people want to follow the work you're doing over at Capped, uh, apparently this dauber URL is tricky. So you could go to keepingcarlson.com slash Capped, and that will lead you to Alex's articles. And also people could obviously follow you on Twitter. I say obviously, because it's the world we live in, right? Everyone's yep. on Twitter. And you're at Alex D. McLean. Great follow. Obviously, if you're in Catholics, will you take people's advice questions if they want to ask you conundrums like Victor's?
1: Uh, Always happy to help. Uh, You can also find me on the Dalber forums, always uh, very active around there. And yeah, thanks for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun to kind of be able to blow somebody's mind with that and just get some Cap League info out there. If you have any future questions, either from readers or want to get something in on another show, then I'm always around happy to talk hockey
0: awesome yeah well thanks so much again for reaching out i think it was in our show with peter harling about prospects and he mentioned that he was in a cap league and i sort of said something dumb probably like oh, i don't even know about those leagues and and then you reached <laughs> out and, and here we are and now we have a whole new resource so next time someone asks me a cap league question on twitter i'll just redirect them to you and i'll save myself the trouble of trying to bumble my way through it uh so yeah thanks so much again alex And for everyone else, we'll be back at you with another regular episode of Keeping Carlson on Sunday. So thanks for listening. Hope you liked the bonus episode.